All right, well, good morning. I'm glad that each and every one of you guys are here this morning. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you guys ever have a conversation where you feel like you're not really talking about what you're talking about? Or maybe the person's kind of being vague, but you feel like there's a more specific meaning behind it? My grandma, Nana, love you, is famous for this one saying. You are. You'll hear in a minute. She has this saying where she says, I wish someone would blank. Okay? And it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's I wish someone would take the trash out, or I wish someone would take the dogs out, or I wish someone would get me a drink, or I wish someone uh, would do fill in the blank. And I've heard it my whole entire life. Um, if you watch her close enough when she says this, every time she says, I wish someone would, my grandpa gets up, and he starts to go do whatever she asked. And so <laughs> it doesn't take you very long to realize that when she said someone, someone was actually pop. And my wife does that to me all the time now. And I know what she's doing, and I still do it anyways. So, yeah. Just like every parable that Jesus has ever told, there's more to meets the eye with what he's saying. Today we're going to be in the parable of the prodigal son, and there's so much to unpack here that it may take us a while, uh, but it's not going to. <laughs> well, it's not. The first part of understanding any lesson, right, is understanding the setting in which a lesson is taught. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today, if you'll go there, and right now we're looking at verses 1 and 2, and it states that all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, meaning Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Okay, so you really have to picture this. Here's Jesus. We'll put him about here. Here are all these tax collectors and sinners. Shane is definitely in that group. And like over here in this little area, we've got some, some Pharisees who are like the religious elders. They've just been religious for a long time. They've been practicing religion forever. And so here come all these tax collectors and these sinners and people that are not religious and Jesus begins teaching with them and you can just see this group over here that's saying he welcomes tax collectors and sinners and there's someone in the back that goes and he eats with them well shame on him as we're picturing this scene and you picture here are the Pharisees, and here are the tax collectors. Jesus begins to tell these stories, and one of them is that of the prodigal son. Okay, And he begins to, to, to just envelop them in this story, and he's dropping wisdom on them about the relationship between the father and those who are already religious and those who are sinners. So anytime you hear me mention the younger son, I want you to think about the tax collectors. I want you to think about the sinners. I want you to think about those who aren't religious. When I mention the older brother, I want you to picture those Pharisees, and when any time I mention the Father, I'm talking about God. I'm only telling you this because as I read through it and I studied the sermon, I got confused so many times, and I want to try to avoid that for you. So if we look at the parable of the prodigal son, it begins in uh, verse 15, sorry, chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continues to drop wisdom on them, and he says that a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. So we're going to stop right there. 
Because here comes his son, and it doesn't sound that bad. At first, it just kind of sounds like he's asking his dad for money, right? Hey, dad, can I get what I have coming to me? Okay, did, did he, his dad borrow a couple bucks from him, and he just wants it back? Is he just looking for a little bit of money? No. What he's asking for is his inheritance. And the last time I checked, in order for one person to receive an inheritance from someone else, that second person giving the inheritance has to die. Right? What he's really telling his father here is that you're dead to me. I want you to die, and I want my money. That is the point that he's getting to. So like any father whose son comes up to him and says, you're dead to me, now give me money, his dad hands over one-third of his estate. I love you, you crazy kid. Here's some dough. That's how you'd respond, right? I'm dead to you. You want my money? Here you go. And after he gets this inheritance, it says that not many days later, this is verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant land where he squandered his estate on foolish living. That's one-third of his father's entire estate gone in foolish living. Now, foolish living, what is that? Because that's both PG and PC. What exactly does that mean? Did he get into some bad investments? Did he buy into a bad business plan? Did he have trouble telling his friends no? What exactly was it that he lost his money to? Well, in verse 30, which we'll get back to, the older brother tells us that he lost all of his money on prostitutes. He was keeping that party going. I mean, turned down for what, right? It was every single night. He's just sitting there. And if you guys need to know what this means, ask somebody younger, okay? <laughs> I, I won't tell you. You'll figure it out. He's constantly looking for that next high. That's all he wanted. The biggest mistake that we can make is thinking that the good life takes place apart from the Father. And that's the first thing you have to understand. That's the first thing I want you to hold on to is that the biggest mistake we can make is thinking that the good life has to take place apart from the father. All the pressure of being the father's son was too much for him. You know, when I first became a Christian, it was the same things that kind of pushed me away. It was all the things that I had to live up to. It's all the things that I had to change. The focus was on all the things that I was doing wrong. And you have to stop doing that. And it became just this weight after weight after weight. And I began thinking, there's no way I can do this on my, on my own. I'm just not going to get that done. And so the son's looking for freedom from that. He wants to be released from that. And so he runs from the father. The mistake was that no one ever told me that the love of the father would lead me to change. That the love of the father would lead me to change. And that I was a part of something much bigger than myself. That I became part of a large family of brothers and sisters who were there to support me and who did not judge me. As an outsider coming into the church, we have all these preconceived notions about what Christians are. They're judgmental and they're hypocritical and they act like they're perfect, but they're really not. And then you get to know us and you realize we know we're not perfect. We don't try to be judgmental and we screw up all the time. But it's the love of the Father that keeps us going. It's that forgiveness that keeps us moving forward in the direction that we need to be. The son wanted to celebrate life, and he didn't think he could do it with his dad. Starting again in verse 14, 15, and 16, it says that after he spent everything, a severe famine had struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. 
He longed to eat from their carpet pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. He lost absolutely everything, right? He lost all his money. He had nowhere to go. And then it's about to get as low as it possibly could for a young Jewish man. Here he is in a country far away from all his family, all his friends, any of his support. He's working for a man who's not a Jew. That was a no-no in their culture. And he's doing the most un-Jewish job that a young Jewish man could possibly have. He's feeding pigs. They were the most unclean animal. They were dirty. They were yucky. They were... Stay away from that. And all he wanted was to eat some of their food. That's how desperate it got. That's rock bottom. That would be like us being forced to live in the sewer. Being so desperate and so hungry that all we want is to just get a giant dumpski. And I'm talking about literal poo here. And everybody above us refusing to flush their toilets. That's what it was. He went from being a celebrated man in his father's household to having more than he could ever want to being denied people's spare crap. And he didn't know what was going to happen from there. Where is he going to go? But it got better. If we look at verses 17, 18, and 19, it says that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hands have more than enough food? And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worried to be, worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. Here's when it gets good. When he hit rock bottom and he turned to the father, the father ran to him. When we go to the father, the father will run to us. Verses 20 through 24, it says that he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father's love was so great that he was still looking for his son after all his son had done. And the minute he saw his son on the horizon, he ran to him. He made a complete fool of himself. What we need to know about this is that back in the day, dudes used to wear dresses. That is the honest truth. I come from Middle Eastern descent. My dad had this, these things that he called galabias, and it was like a man dress. And here I am, this fat little roly-poly kid that he shoves this dress over my head, and I'm waddling around the house wearing a dress. Thank goodness he didn't make me go outside of the home in that thing. But what would have been embarrassing about it is that if he did run, his naughty bits might show. That's the truth. If he ran, kneeing up might show. And if you're not with me, there's nothing dignified about naughty bits. I'm 25 years old today. Today I turned 25. It, you don't need to clap for that. I see you're all surprised I made it that far too. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, exactly. So it took me 24 years, 362 and a half days to realize that there's nothing dignified about naughty bits. Real story. 
My go-to back in the day, last week, when I had nothing else to say, was like, show my butt. And my mom would always come up to me and say, is there anybody in Springfield that hasn't seen your butt? And I would tell to her, there's probably one or two. One. One. There's, we got two. You're in Republic. I said Springfield. Um, but he didn't care about embarrassing himself. See, that's the thing about the father. He doesn't care about embarrassing himself as long as he can get to you. If you turn to the father, he is going to run to you. Doesn't matter what it makes him look like. Doesn't matter what you've done. Once he sees you and he knows he's got a chance to get you home, he's coming to you. And the father didn't even care what he had to say, right? Because he told his workers to quickly go uh, get a new robe for his son. I'm sorry. Quick is so important here because it shows that without hesitation, he accepted his son back. Without hesitation, he told his son, I love you. Welcome home. And when he told him to get new clothing, he didn't tell him to get just any clothing. He told him to get the best robe, signifying that he was welcome back into the family. And then he, he told his servants to put a ring on his finger, signifying that he had authority in the household. And remember that all the son wanted was to just be like one of his father's hired hands. And his son had his hired, his father had his hired hands go get the son's sandals, signifying that he was more than a hired hand. He's more than just a number to the father. And then the father had a feast prepared for him. He loved him so much that he went and slaughtered the fattened calf. Jews did not get red meat that often. It was only during special celebrations or special events that they got to partake of red meat. And here comes the son after all he'd done to his father. And the father gives him the best of the best. All because why? Because his son was lost to him and now he's found. He was gone and now he's home. Now if I had been that dad, not so fast, okay? Not so fast, sonny boy. Uh-uh, not happening. If my son had told me that I was dead to him and took one-third of everything that I had and then wasted it all, I definitely wouldn't be looking for him, right? I wouldn't be thinking that he's coming back. He already said I'm dead to him. I wouldn't be looking for him. I may be hopeful that he's coming back, but I'm definitely not looking for him. And I definitely would not have run to him. I'm not running to a lot of things. We can be honest about that. So that may not be a huge surprise to you. But I'm not running to him. And I'd probably give him some clothes if his clothes were in tatters. But I'd do that for almost anybody. He's not getting a ring. And there's no way in H-E double hockey sticks that he's getting my best steak. That ain't happening. Okay? Mm-mm. No way. But here's the thing. When Jesus is telling that story, like I'm telling the story to you, the reactions are probably the same. There's not a chance that I react like that, Father. Not a chance. But remember that Jesus wasn't just describing any father. He was describing his father. He was describing God. And God always has an eye on the horizon. He's just waiting for you to reappear. He's just waiting for you to come home. And he'll cover you in grace like the father covered his son in a new robe. 
And he'll forgive all that you've ever done. Because he loves you like a father loves a son. And because you were apart from him, and now you're home. You know, I, a lot of you haven't heard my story, but I got involved in some really bad stuff. I did the same thing that this son did. I completely ran from God, right? It was the stress of all that I thought I had to be in order to be in God's family. And I just wanted freedom. So I dove into drugs, and I dove into alcohol, and I dove into sex, and I wanted all those things because I could feel without feeling the pressure of being in God's family. But the thing about that, just like with the son, whenever the assets ran out, okay, whenever I couldn't get beer or I couldn't get weed and I ran out of pills and girls didn't want to have anything to do with me any longer, those highs, they went away. And that freedom was gone. I made the mistake of thinking that the party was apart from God. But what you need to understand is that God is where the party's at. And he is going to accept you regardless of what you think keeps you unworthy of his love. Verses 25 through 32. Okay, the party's already began, and it says that now his older son was in the field, and as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother's here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who came and has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because his brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Okay, so here comes Pouty McRule follower in from the fields, right? And he hears a party that is just off the hook. He hears music and dancing. Hearing music, not that shocking. Hearing dancing, that shocking. Okay, it wasn't just like, it was like, I mean, they were getting down. He heard them dancing. So he gets up and he's like, I have been in the fields literally all day. And he comes home. He's like, what is going on? The servant says, oh, your brother's home. So your dad's throwing him a party and he killed the, the fattened calf for him and, and we're celebrating. And brother's just not having it. He's not having any of it. Doesn't want to go in. Doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And the word gets back to the father and here comes his father and he's talking to his son. And he says, son, your brother's back. Come celebrate with us. His head just explodes. And he's sitting there and he's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I've been in the fields all day. You know what? Forget that. I've been doing everything you've asked me my entire life. And not one time have I disobeyed you. And you wouldn't even give me a goat, Dad. I couldn't even get a goat to celebrate with my friends. Here comes his son. He squandered everything you gave him on prostitutes. And you killed the fattened calf for him? After all I've done... And you have to see his dad just dumbfounded. Son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. Just ask. But your brother, he was lost. And we found him. We got him back home. 
we had to celebrate. The problem with a lot of non-fans coming into the church is that so many of us who are already fans of God guard salvation as if it's ours to give. And we act like, oh, they're undeserving of this. I've been here my whole life. And you see the freedom that they have. They get to completely just let go of everything and rest in the Father. And they're telling all their friends about what the Father's done for them. And they're excited and they're happy. You have no idea how many times I've heard people say, oh, that's going to wear off. That's going to wear off. It just automatically cues the reaction. I just want to stop it right there. You just want to punch them in the face because why would you want that to wear off? Why would you want them to stop celebrating the Father's love? You see, we've always been with the Father. He wants us to celebrate with Him. He desires that. But when someone's lost and they come home, when someone new joins the family, He requires that we celebrate with them. He requires the party. And we need to be there to accept them, to love them, and to throw that party with them. Because that's a great day in God's family. That's a great day in God's family. He was able to find true security in the freedom of the Father. Because the Father was able to give an abundance. It was an endless supply of love and grace. And the assets didn't run out. And the younger son got the idea that, you know what, I can celebrate and live and have fun and get the good life with the Father. And that's all that God wants us to understand. The party don't stop just because we start living with God. As Coolio said, there ain't no party like a God party because a God party don't stop. Pretty sure those were the lyrics. And that is what we need to be preaching. That's the message that people need to understand. When God sees you on the horizon, he's going to come running to you. So if he has to come to you with a needle in your arm, or he has to come to you while you're dancing in the club, or if he has to come to you doing whatever unsavory thing you think keeps you from God, he is going to run to you. And that love of the Father will lead you to change. You're not on your own. Come join the family. That's what you need to understand. The party is with God. The party does not stop. Come home. Be part of the family. Don't leave today without becoming part of that family. Try me out on this. Just look to God. Just look to God and see that he doesn't come running home. As the band comes up and they begin to play this last song, there's something that you all have to do for me. Just be in prayer. Just be mindful of what God might be leading you to do. Reach out to somebody that you love. Reach out to somebody that's not part of the family and welcome them to come try it out. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Pray real quick. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We thank you for the fact that you include us all in the family. Lord, whether we've been there for a hundred years or we've been there for one second, Lord, you treat us the same. You welcome us to the party with open arms. You provide for us more than we could ever possibly think. 
Lord, there's nothing, nothing that we can possibly do that makes us too dirty to be a part of, of who you want us to be, of, of, of the group that you want us to be a part of, Lord, and that's your family. You love us. We thank you for that. In your sons and we pray. Amen.